Romans chapter number 8, Romans chapter number 8, I'll allow you to find your place there. Brother Doug's going to come down the middle here with some outlines. If you don't have a prayer bulletin, love for you to grab one of those, follow along with us. And uh, as we have the opportunity to get in back into this chapter, I would say one thing, and that way I don't forget it again, like I've already forgot, I meant to mention on Sunday night, but failed to do so. Many of you remember uh, Jonathan Schwarzendruber, and uh, he passed away last week. We put the obituary back on the uh, thing there, Miss Nancy had given that to us, and so just encourage you to pray for his family, and uh, certainly rejoice that he is in heaven, as he had a testimony of trusting the Lord, and free of all the hindrances and limits he had here on earth. And so many, many of you might remember when he attended back when, been a while ago, and I certainly do. I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, he would hit every one of these on his way up and down or something, if I'm not mistaken. And so uh, anyway, so just encourage you to pray for his family, Jonathan Schwarzendruber and uh, the whole family, lots of brothers and sisters, and certainly mom and dad, as you might remember. So just encourage you to pray along those lines. All right, Romans chapter number 8. We've gotten through several verses here, and we will not review much this this evening. We want to get right to it, but we've talked about the new reality, and thanks to that new law, verses 1 through 4, the life of freedom. We talked about a new nature, thanks to that new life, a life of spiritual focus as we begin on verses 5 and following. We talked about that carnal mind and versus a spiritual mind, the idea of our thinking, our bent uh, towards evil when we are away from God, we're unsaved, we're unbelievers. We made these couple statements that are, I think are good for us to continue to repeat. The unbeliever is void of the Spirit of God and lives in the flesh and for the flesh. That is their natural bent. So what we are talking about when we make such a statement is that their natural orientation, not to be confused with what the world likes to say about orientation and things like that, but the reality is, as an unbeliever, their natural orientation is, is towards the flesh. You and I as believers, our orientation, we are spiritual and is after the Spirit, the Word of God. And so Paul is making that uh, line of demarcation, the delineation in this passage and for us to grasp. We saw this last week specifically, a carnal person is dead while a spiritual person is alive. You see that verse number 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life. And then letter C, we followed right up on that, the simple reality, a carnal person is at war with God while spiritual person has a peace. So the last part of verse 6, you see it there, and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And so we finished up, we're starting to, we finished up verse 7, and we'll find ourselves smack dab in the middle of this passage and understanding there's a difference between the carnal and the spiritual. Okay, so let's get to it. Look at verse 8 with me, if you will. Verse number 8. And uh, we delve into today, letter D here before us. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. He continues with his, his description and focus on the limitations, the liabilities of being in the flesh. And here he makes a very simple statement. What's another term? Now think with me here quickly. Uh, what is another term we use to describe the unsaved? Well, it's the term that I'm thinking of. Of course, there's several terms. The one I'm thinking of is lost. We we say that there's the lost. He he came to seek and to save those which are lost. And I think it's an appropriate description of those who are spiritually without Christ and spiritually dead, as Paul describes here. So it's a fair representation of their present spiritual status, we might say. Furthermore, I think that term, to call the unsaved of the world, unbelievers lost, is a good description and is best understood in the context of the intent of the creation of every person. 
Paul alludes to it in this verse. Uh, what's the purpose of man? Why is he created? Well, the Bible says we understand in Revelation that, that all, we are created for the pleasure of God. I alluded to it on uh, Sunday night, I believe it was, and, and I thought I'd already mentioned it last week, but we were ready to say it last week. We didn't get to it. What, what is derived from the word pleasure? To please. I'm to please God. Literally, I am created for His pleasure, and if I, gave, if I am to give Him pleasure, that means literally that I have pleased Him. Literally, if you're, you want your dog to bring you pleasure, it ought to please you, Amen. Bring you the paper, do whatever, you know, use the restroom where it's supposed to, cook you dinner, whatever you want your dog to do. It's to please you, right? It brings you pleasure. And so literally that is the purpose for us. But now notice it. Think about it in terms of the unbeliever. A carnally minded person is unable to please God. Who does a carnal person, a person who's after the flesh and in the flesh and lives for the flesh, who do they please? Well, they play self, right? I mean, self is numero uno. That is, that is their God. He is. Self sits on the throne. They are incapable. They are unable to fulfill their purpose in life. And I'll tell you right now, man, I just put it before you. One of the worst things in life is to have a purpose and not be able to fulfill it. Not be able to do what you are, are purposed, intended to do. It's one of the worst things. And yet here are you and I, and the reality is this. They are unable to please God. They're missing out totally on the number one reason for their being, their ultimate goal in life, the very thing they were created to do, they cannot do, they are incapable of doing. And yet you and I are believers, guess what? Through the Holy Spirit, you and I can please God. We have been outfitted, we have been equipped with everything that we need to please God. And that is a great truth and gift for you and I. And now we can please God. In fact, I love this verse. Paul spoke of it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. He says this, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be, what's the next word? Accepted of Him. You know that word is translated in a couple other places. The Greek word, it's translated as, in other passages, well-pleasing. So when we see, when Paul says this, listen, we labor, we work in this life, and we live in such a way that we may stand before God, and wherever we are, and whatever's taking place, that we may be well-pleasing to God. That's our goal. That's why we were created. To bring pleasure to God. To be pleasing to the Creator who created us. Well-pleasing. And yet an unbeliever has total inability to do that. All the labors of the unregenerate, the Bible has labeled already as filthy rags. They do not please God. But that's not so for you and I. We are in the Spirit. In fact, if you were to glance, we'll read it in a moment. Verse 9 says, You're not in the Spirit. You're in the flesh. I mean, you're not in the flesh. You're in the Spirit. And because you and I are such, we find ourselves there, we can join Paul in knowing that the life we now live in Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit can be lived in such a way that pleases God. Now, I want you to get this tonight. I want you to let it sink in. I want you to appreciate where you stand. If you are saved this evening, if you are in the Spirit, I want you to understand something. Today, tomorrow, next week, next month, this year, you can please God. 
See, there's some of you in this room, you've had a teacher, you've had a parent, you've had maybe even someone else in your life that you tried with all you wanted to and all your effort and desire to please, but they were never pleased with what you did. And one of you who was like that or faced maybe a parent or a teacher, you could stand up and testify how terrible that was. You could, you could try with all your efforts. You could do your very best. And they were never happy. They were never pleased with what you did. Now, my friend, can I encourage you tomorrow? You can please God. You have the ability to do so. Not because of you, not because you and I are something special, but because we are of, born of the Spirit. We've been filled with the Spirit. And that ought to help you and I get out of bed before we hit snooze. That, that ought to help us get out of bed tomorrow and say, you know what? I can go labor today. Why? Because be, how I act today can please my God. How I live for Him. That's a great encouragement. Uh, many of us have seen this. and Maybe it's a movie or a story or something. You ever seen or maybe you've witnessed it personally, a, a, a dog or a pet that has been with its master for a long time. And boy, that pet, pet went everywhere. And, and uh, I always find it humorous when I'm driving down the road, you look over and oh, there's a dog in the passenger seat, you know, staring back at you. And, you know, or in, a, or in a store parking lot. It's like there's someone, oh, that's a dog, uh, sitting in the car and waiting. And, and you ever see one of these dogs just go everywhere with their master and they do everything to go everywhere everywhere and then the the man or, or the lady the master dies and you remember seeing how that dog was really lost i, I mean they could I and mean, there's been movies made about such dogs and uh, one in which uh, the owner would go on a trainer time the dog would always meet him when he got back from work and everything else and and, and the man died and the dog just didn't know what to do without purpose lost and and certainly i haven't heard of it of a dog dying soon after his master died no purpose then in sense not wanting to know had, had no desire to live you and i stand back and one of the most amazing things i find is that somebody would take their life would overdose on drugs on purpose, jump off a tower, however they choose to do it. And I, I, it just always amazes me. Isn't life precious? Well, life is precious, but can I tell you, it is only valuable if you can fulfill your purpose. So you take a person that has yet to either find their purpose or has inability or incapability to fulfill their purpose, and there's a person whose life to them is not very valuable. They don't understand, but boy, you give somebody purpose. You help them understand now you have the ability to fulfill. Here's your purpose, and not only is here is your purpose, but you can fulfill the very purpose that God has given you. Whoo, we got a whole new ball game. And friend, that's what the Holy Spirit did for you and I. Paul makes a very simple statement. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Then he goes on, and I think, this is, <laughs> I think this is a great statement, verse number 9. Notice that he says this, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. He is none of his. The statement here, and we get it. I mean, really, this is, Paul, you can just imagine, was looking forward to, anticipating, getting to this point in the paragraph. I, 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 he gets to say this. Now, all those things I just covered, they don't apply to you anymore, Christian. 
Paul's saying, listen, but you're not in the flesh. You aren't any of those things. That carnality of thinking, no, no, that doesn't describe you anymore. Being spiritually dead, believer, you're not spiritually dead anymore. You aren't at odds with God anymore, and you aren't in a position where you can't please God anymore. That's what Paul's saying at the beginning of verse 9. Aren't, literally, aren't you thankful, Christian, you are none of those things anymore? You're different. You've been changed by the Holy Spirit, and literally, what does he put here? Here's the litmus test for that, for salvation. Here's how to know if you've been saved. Uh, see, the carnals, we would put it this way, are void of the Spirit. Void of the Spirit. While a believer, a spiritual believer, a, or excuse me, a spiritual person is indwell, has the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual person is identified by the indwelling. Here's the proverbial uh, spiritual line of demarcation, or maybe for you and I to better understand it, here's the spiritual Mason-Dixon line. It separates the believer and the unbeliever. Here is the litmus test. Here is the thing that just draws that line. As Christ spoke about it in his secretive nighttime meeting with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said this, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again, that I said unto thee. Nicodemus, don't, don't be mistaken. Listen, you've got to be born of the Spirit, regenerated. Otherwise, you're just of the flesh. You're carnal. It's interesting that Paul, well, let me back up. Paul makes the same point in this chapter. Look at verse 16. Notice verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So this indwelling of the Holy Spirit is, is particular to a believer. We get that. We understand that. And it is the describing or the characteristic of someone who's saved. Uh, it's interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Paul comes back to very carnal Christians in the church of Corinth. And he says this. Listen, hey, believers, you are the holy temple of the Holy Ghost. And he was reminding them because they weren't living like it. They weren't acting like it. Their lives did not reflect this reality that they were indwelled. It didn't produce what it was intended to produce. Now, we'll speak of this in a moment. I think we'll hit on some things tonight that I think are very crucial for you and I as believers to understand. Okay, if I have the Spirit, or excuse me, if I'm saved, I have the Spirit, I'm indwelled. And if I'm indwelled by the Holy Spirit, then I ought to be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And if I'm filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, it will then in turn produce some things in my life that are evidence or fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that because Paul does here in just a moment. But understand what it, if we could boil it down to, having the Holy Spirit is very uh, demonstrable. It, it can be clearly seen. The evidence that Paul has really already established in some ways. What is it? Well, you and I are, if we could put it this way, you and I are able to accomplish the submission and surrender to the Holy Spirit. It goes hand in hand with pleasing God, and yet as the I have to have the Holy Spirit. I have to have been regenerated. I have to have been filled with the Holy Spirit and dwelt by the Holy Spirit in order to submit and surrender to the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul is building up to in just a few chapters. We get to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, when he, he talks about yielding ourselves as a sacrifice, presenting ourselves as a sacrifice. That's what he's speaking of, the submission and surrender so that then you and I can go on day by day in victorious Christian living. 
It's simply being spirit-led, spirit-filled. It's seen in that spiritual mind that Paul has contrasted to the carnal mind. It's seen in an inherent desire and pursuit of holiness and righteousness that only comes from the Holy Spirit, renewing our minds, changing our hearts, nurturing, growing, and nourishing those spiritual desires within us. The Bible says this very clearly. You and I read it sometimes, and, and even though he may have been speaking to Israelites and things, the point is this. That we do not naturally seek after the things of God. That's not in our nature. That is not in the sinful nature, the, the one that's at war and enmity with God. But boy, you and I as Christians, we are regenerated. The Holy Spirit comes along with the Word of God and He re- renews us and He nourishes and nurtures that desire and uh, that, that want to, to do righteousness, to be holy, to follow after God. To seek after God. Now, fact is this, as you and I have opened up our Bibles today in devotions, as we've come here tonight, as, uh, these last few days of this week, as we've opened up God's Word, I hope you have done it to seek God. I, have, I hope you haven't done it just as we have talked of many times, just as just a Christian duty, and though it certainly is in many ways, the, the fact is it ought to be empowered and moved by love. It ought, ought to be generated by our desire within that the Holy Spirit has fanned the flames of that you and I would seek after God. That we would have those spiritual desires and wants within that the Holy Spirit just keeps fanning the flames of and nurtures and nourishes us all throughout our life. And all that changes as we submit and surrender to the Holy Spirit. And then it produces something. And this is what Paul gets to in the next verse. Notice verse 10. He says this. And if Christ be in you, okay, so you're, the Spirit indwells you, Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit is life because of righteousness is a statement here. Boy, it's a good one. The Spirit is life. But there's no hope for the, the carnal person because their body and spirit is dead. Their body and spirit is dead. Now, you and I as believers, we still will reap the punishment of sin in this world. This earthly vessel will one day perish, but then we, it will be resurrected. It will be glorified and purified. And boy, that's going to be wonderful, isn't it? Have a resurrected body that's purified and glorified. And uh, that's going to be a wonderful day. Our flesh, was, though, was crucified with Christ on the cross. And in that death, we were given the Spirit, or are given life in our spirit by the Spirit. That's what Paul's saying here. You, you have life now. Because you're saved and you're a believer, you have life. And there's a twofold application that I think is so very crucial here for us to, to understand, to grasp, and to apply. Number one, you see it here on the outline, the righteousness of Christ applied to our account, as Paul's already explained in previous chapters, has made it possible for us and for the Spirit, excuse me, to indwell us. So the righteous, he mentions in this verse, verse number 11, but the Spirit of, uh, is life because of righteousness. So there's really a twofold way in application of that statement. The first is this. Hey, listen, the Spirit is life, and you've been given the Spirit, and how you've been given the Spirit is because the righteousness of Christ was applied to your account. Now, that's something certainly... Uh, that separates you and I from unbelievers. Now, here's the second thing. Uh, the life of the Spirit and the power that comes from that life is manifested 
is manifested not by emotionalism. It's not demonstrated by how loudly and how, how grandly you shout hallelujah or amen or praise the Lord. And it's some emotional outpouring. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit in you as a believer is not, done by, is not demonstrated by that. But what Paul's saying in this verse and many other places throughout the New Testament, the manifestation of the Spirit in this life is righteousness. Is righteousness. So he makes the statement that, but the Spirit is life. How is the life? Well, it demonstrates itself in the righteousness of the believer. What you and I could never produce of ourselves, now you and I can produce. You and I can uh, produce a, a, a righteousness within our living. Again, not us producing it, the Holy Spirit. That's what being alive in the Holy Spirit produces. Don't miss it. If you and I are spirit-led, now we know we're indwelt because we're saved, but how often does God, does Jesus Christ speak of the fact that you and I can grieve the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is convicting us, helping us to do what's right, telling us to go one way, and we grieve, we don't listen, we ignore the Holy Spirit, and, and we kind of have a hardened heart, at least uh, on some degree, to the Holy Spirit. We, we kind of ignore His leading. We aren't spirit-led. We are not spirit-controlled in that moment. But if you and I decide to submit and surrender, as we've noticed in this passage, then we have oh, allowed the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us, and what does He produce in our lives? Righteousness. Righteousness. And whatever endeavor it is, whether it's be a husband or a wife or an employee, employer, or a son or a daughter or a grandparent, you name the task of life, it is that yielding to the Holy Spirit, submitting and surrendering, thereby being controlled and filled by the Holy Spirit that produces righteousness in my life. See, some uh, perfect illustration of this is someone who, in, in a, in, before they got saved, they could curse like a sailor. That, you can try all you want and work as hard as you can. But my friend, your speech is not going to change unless the Holy Spirit's in it. You need the Holy Spirit's help. Now, you and I ought to work and labor hard for that. But I'll tell you, friend, the only way that we are changed is through God and His Word and the Holy Spirit. So, God, I encourage you. That's literally what Paul's speaking here. I like what James says. James writes later in James chapter 2. Remember this? He said, I'll show you my faith by what? Good works, right? I'll show you my faith by my good works. That, that's what, that was a statement. That was uh, his proof. Now, think about it. It's the Spirit then who in turn produces good works, holiness, righteousness in these mortal bodies as we submit and surrender to him. Now, let me draw another application, and we'll spend a little time here. I want you to get this tonight. I think this is crucial. I think that we have dealt with it now for about the last 20-plus years, actually maybe 30, 40, really. Okay? The manifestation of the Holy Spirit in one's life is not biblically demonstrated by emotional outbursts. It's not demonstrated by holy laughter. It's not demonstrated by going crazy in the middle of an aisle, running up and down and, and, and shaking like you are out of control. It's not demonstrated by speaking in some made-up gibberish tongue. This has become synonymous. All of these things have become synonymous. Well, hey, I've been baptized in the Spirit. I have the Spirit. And so here are the proofs uh, of that. 
Hey, my friend, falling down, running around, rolling on the ground is no proof that the Holy Spirit's within you. It may be a little proof that you're mad. You're crazy. See, I, I have not said a whole lot. I have not dressed a, too much of it. But there's reality. There is a big push in, in some denominations, specifically Prosperity Gospel and others, that are pointing to this. And listen, you want to know if you have the Holy Spirit? This is how you know. Now, I'll tell you, my friend, tonight, that is dead wrong. It's biblically incorrect. And you better understand, because when you talk to somebody, you better understand what they mean by, hey, I, I, I have the Holy Spirit, and here's how I know. I speak in, I speak in tongues, or I've had a, a fit of holy laughter, and I've been to this place where I've been knocked over, and so forth. If you have never been exposed to it, I, I want to open your eyes a little bit. See, those are not the proofs of the Holy Spirit. Righteousness is. So, guys, if you could hit the lights, I, I want to share with you just a few video clips, okay? And uh, just, uh, just to give you a little bit uh, of idea and thought of <laughs> what they're doing and so forth. Um, the first one here is a demonstration of holy laughter, holy laughter. Kenneth Hagin, who is uh, kind of one of the, the spirit, really is considered the founder. We, we mentioned this back in one of our uh, What We Believe and Why We Believe It series. He, he is credited with heading up Prosperity Gospel. And uh, uh, he was a, a forerunner in this and so forth. So we'll go ahead and go to the next slide. I want you to see this. And uh, just watch. This, look, this one's about three and a half minutes, four minutes. And I, I kind of want you to see it. It's kind of uh, unusual. And uh, so if you've never seen one of their services, this is what it looks like. And uh, forgive me, I, I just got this video from somebody who was calling it. I didn't write these things, by the way. Um, so I didn't call them loonies. He did. Okay. And uh, I do like how he presented this in just a moment. They do call it spiritual drunkenness, by the way. And uh, how I found Jesus but lost my mind. Uh, that might be a good description, but I didn't put that up there. Okay. speaking in tongue, but what did they see? For them to think they was drunk, they must have thought they was drunk. They were acting like drunks.
that right there is Kenneth Copeland. He's one of the more recent leaders of Prosperity Gospel and a pusher of this holy laughter and drunkenness in the spirit thing. Kenneth Hagen, who is the main gentleman here, he's, he passed away in 1997. <laughs> 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 this is the first time we've had a full manifestation of that anointing. Guys, go and bring on the lights, if you will. I need to read us a few things here. Um, so, <laughs> part of me wants to laugh. You know, it, it's humorous. It's, it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. The other part of me says, be very careful, because if they're claiming it's a spirit, it ain't the spirit of the, of the Bible. So that part of it scares me. It really does. What, what are we presenting to people is being filled with the Spirit. Listen, my friend, the Bible is very clear. You don't lose control of yourself. It's not rolling around on the ground. You produce a righteousness that reflects the holiness of God. Amen. That's filled with the Spirit. And this is such an abomination. This is such a heresy. When, when you look at this, you're like, what in the world? What, what are they thinking? What are they? And more importantly, what are they presenting to the lost world? Because I'll tell you, there's many videos like this on YouTube and other places, and the world mocks it, the world makes fun of it, and in turn, they make fun of Jesus, they make fun of God, and they make fun of the Holy Spirit. It's a terrible reflection upon the Holy Spirit in God. So, yes, in a sense, I look at that and I, you know, it's comical to see people losing their minds and so forth. And you can see they're kind of looking around who's going to laugh next and so forth. It's so obvious that faking, however you want to describe it. And yet at the same time, it's so deplorable. 
It's sickening. We're going to watch another video, and we're going to turn out the lights this time, guys. I think the video, this one will be um, bright enough for us just to leave the lights as they are. Because I'm going to turn off the sound at the beginning. There's a little bit of background music, certainly not the best. So I apologize for that. But I want you to hear what um, specifically his name is. You may have heard of him too, Rodney Howard Brown. I believe he's in Tampa Bay now. But um, he, he is a big proponent of holy laughter, modernly maybe. He still has a ministry down there and things like that. And I want you to hear what he says about it. And then I want you, I'll read something as the video because I cut out the music because it gets too crazy. And uh, I, I want to read what one of his directors says about it, okay? So we'll go to the next one here and we'll watch the beginning of this. Because you can come to church all happy, excited, talking to your friend. Turn it up the door, just a little bit. Stern, you know, it's in there. You don't want to even cough. You know, you don't want to even open up a minute because now you're in the presence of God. Okay, so they're going to show some things again. The music kind of got going here. They're going to interview this young man here who works for him. And this is what he, how he describes it, this guy right here. He says, the best way I can describe it is drunkenness. It is as if you are inebriated. You are there, you are aware of what is going on, but you don't really want to stop. When someone gets prayed for and they are just laying out there on the ground, we kind of call that carpet time. And so you'll see as the video goes along, and uh, the cameraman or camera lady got slain in the spirit with drunkenness. This gentleman who came to this thing was a laughologist from Canada. He came to study the laughing and so forth and, and put out documentary and thing about it. And, and you can see the reaction. Um, <laughs> Howard Brown is kind of making light of it and talking about him. And then he invokes the name. Notice this. He'll, he'll, he'll knock over the laughologist here. And he, you can read his lips. He says, Jesus, as he knocks him over. Scriptures say this, many will come to Christ in that day and say, have we not done these things in your name? And he'll say, depart from me for I never knew thee. And I'll tell you, such heretics fall into this. Uh, it, it, it is a horrendous affront to the Holy Spirit and it is detrimental to the cause of Christ. See, it carries on. And, and again, I, I haven't said much. I haven't demonstrated much. But let's talk about speaking in tongues because that's a huge thing too. Not the gift of languages and not the idea of even biblical speaking in tongues that ceased uh, the uh, display gifts, as we might call them. Uh, not even that where it was a known language, but the people present couldn't understand, but somebody was interpreting. Uh, it, it's just blown out of proportion. Notice this. And back in, 90, in the 90, 1990s, ABC, I believe it was, did a, a segment, a documentary on it. And this is just a, a few. I cut out some few clips of it. Notice it. And you'll see it here. Well, what you just heard is, of course, the phenomenon known as speaking in tongue. It's an unrecognizable mix of vowels and consonants, which believers say is the Holy Spirit speaking through them to God, without any interference from the mind or any limitations of language. The proof is in the pudding. 
is, is the way that I like to see it. There are 2 billion Christians in the world today, 523 million speaking tongues. So there's something going on. Oh, hallelujah! And his following proves it with a membership of 10,000 people who pray at his church in Tampa, Florida, called Without Walls International. This actually goes beyond the natural. People want the supernatural. They're hungry for something that is outside of the natural realm. And that's what the gifts of the Holy Spirit is all about. We're tapping into something that's far beyond us. Those who claim to have the ability to speak in tongues believe that they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But to a newcomer, it's incomprehensible. Was sat about midway through a service and then thought, those two people up on the stage, and that was Pastor Randy and Paula White, are crazy. Amen. It's like chaos to me. And people falling on the floor, people praying and things that I didn't understand, and, and, and the band singing and everybody. And I turned around and I walked out. Jacqueline Knight says she's not quite sure how it happened, especially in light of her sober religious background. But five years ago, she became a believer and now is a spokeswoman for the church. But when you pray and you don't really, it's not really me talking. It's the spirit inside of me communing to God. But like most who speak in tongues, she has no idea what she's saying. It's almost like a baby learning to talk. When you're a baby and you learn to talk, you have certain sounds. So when you first start speaking in the spirit, there's certain sounds that you make and you don't know what they mean. I don't know what it is I'm saying, but if you were to ask me right now to say something in my prayer language, yes, I could pray in it. Do I know what words are going to come out right now? I could say, um, Just like that. Does that mean anything? It meant something to my spirit, man. Religion as traditional as Roman Catholicism now accepts speaking in tongues. Charismatic Catholics, as they call themselves, now even have the Pope's blessing. Listen to this, how she describes it. Claire Gellman prays in tongues at St. Veronica's Church in New Jersey. It's the language you've never cursed in or said anything horrible in, and it's his language, and it's, it's per more perfect. Speaking in tongues doesn't happen for everybody who tries. David Swatek is another member of the New Jersey prayer group who says he received another gift, the gift of interpretation. I was speaking tongues, and uh, like one time, God, you know, I got blessed with the gift of interpreting tongues, and one time I remember I was praying in tongues. Let me so stop you for a second. You don't speak in tongues. <laughs> but you could understand. Different, yeah. yeah. Well, when I hear this, and it won't make any sense to me, you hear words... Um, not, not exactly. You know what they're praying. You know what they're saying. You know the thesis statement behind this beautiful paper you just composed. Like, um, like this one girl was not here today. She was praying telling them she was praising God in the same song that was like sung and the same song that the hills praised God. And I think that sounds really weird and all that. But it's like, wow. I want you to begin to pray the Holy Spirit just for a moment. 
supernatural experiences may raise eyebrows, spirit-filled worshippers say their faith is all they need. All right, where to start? <laughs> um, uh, obviously, so first of all, uh, Randy, number one, let me back up. There's two things here. Okay, did you notice how they were speaking in tongues? First of all, it was that Randy White, Pastor Randy White, walking around the town and around the water, and he's speaking in tongues. Then the lady is driving down, uh, thanks, she has a camera for this, uh, this news article, and she's speaking in tongues in her car. Now, if you honestly believe biblically that the speaking in tongues in the scriptures is gibber-jabberish, you would have to at least agree that it only happened where? In the church. There's no verse scripturally that says you're walking down and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit wants to... And did you hear what they said? It's like God's language. It's the Holy Spirit talking to God. Can I tell you the Holy Spirit doesn't need you and I to talk to God? He doesn't. I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's illogical. Makes no biblical sense whatsoever. And then Randy White, and I'll leave it at that. We've got to be done. But Randy White said this. Did you catch it? He said the proof is in the pudding. Let me show you the proof in the pudding. Randy and Paula White... Both of them, I believe, at that point were on their second marriages when they got married. Both, they've gotten divorced since this. She became pastor of the church at one point. He got mad. He became pastor of the church at one point. Then, guess what? The church had to file for bankruptcy. They were $29 million in debt. And the city of Tampa suing and everything else said this was just a way to get out of litigation and all that good stuff. She went to some other church and, and became pastor there. She married a rock star. And she was investigated by the Senate because of how many millions of dollars she had had taken from God's people and she was investigated because of the scams and everything else as a prosperity uh, speaker and so forth and here's the worst part of it as far as I'm concerned she is on uh, President Trump's uh, pastoral council she chairs it now listen to me let me tell you, proof's in the pudding. You're exactly right. Proof is in the pudding. Because you know what the Holy Spirit produces? Not holy laughter, not speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit produces righteousness. Righteousness. We don't need some made-up, some fabricated, emotional manifestation. And, and, and I mean, you think about it. Here's the truth of it. How better to prevent people from manifesting that they have the Spirit than by causing them to believe error about how the Holy Spirit is manifested in their lives. So if I want to keep people from having the Holy Spirit, boy, I can convince them that this is how you, uh, this is how you get the Holy Spirit. See, you don't see the social phenomenon, as they called it here, about showing off the fruit of the Spirit, do you? Man, there's a great social phenomenon catching around the United States of America. People are showing off the fruit of the Spirit. Hey, Satan doesn't want that. What's the fruit of the Spirit? It's righteousness in action. Love, joy, peace. I mean, that's righteousness in action in the lives of people. The devil doesn't want it. Is there any question that the devil, that is Satan, wants people confused on this issue? Because here's the fact. If you don't, and Paul writes it here, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Jesus Christ. So if he can convince thousands and thousands and thousands of people that because they had some emotional experience, whether it's laughter or speaking in tongues, or they saw a vision, which Paula White says she saw a vision when she was younger, God appeared to her and said, everything that comes out of your mouth is going to be praising God and all this other stuff and a word from God for people. People are going to be healed in your presence. I mean, it's ludicrous. So if, 
If Satan can convince people that's how you get the Holy Spirit, guess what they don't think they need? Jesus Christ. And he is the only way. If you have Christ, you have the Spirit. And the Spirit produces what? Righteousness. So, friend, that's why you and I must speak up for the truth of God's Word. Including the exposition or exposing of false teaching in these heretical views of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because here's the truth. I want people to be saved. Truly saved. I want them to come to understand that as they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that Jesus said he'll send the comforter, that we gain the Holy Spirit who helps us to live godly, to please God in every way possible.